A road is just a road, but a Jeep SUV isn't just an SUV. Come see for yourself at the Jeep Start Something New sales event. During Owner Appreciation Month, finance get $3,750 total cash allowance on select 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo 4x4 models in dealer stock the longest. On oldest 20% inventory of 2020 Jeep Cherokee Laredo models as of 1-3-2020 in dealer stock. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 2-3-2020. Jeep is a registered trademark. You are now listening to the Hat Trick Podcast, coming to you straight out of Oklahoma. Saved everybody from all the earthquakes. Oklahoma's out of now. Get back to work. <laughs> if Michael. <laughs> all right, so we had an interesting day today. Yep. All right, so what we're gonna we're about to plug in the interview that we did with OKPRI. Okay yeah. And we'll give you let you give it a listen. Um, go ahead and give a little backstory on who they are and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, this is gonna be two ladies named Christy and Kathy. Um, we talked to them for about an hour and a half. They are part of a paranormal research team. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times in the, you know, the past week or two that we got this going on. Um, you know, it was really interesting. It was like a very, we've never done an interview before. If you followed the show, you know that. Um, but it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, we got some really neat stories from them. A lot of information. Um, a lot. A lot. They are plugging an event for July 14th. It's on a Saturday. It's on Saturday. It's in Broken Arrow. Um, they'll explain in the show how to reach out to them. Yep. You can also go to www.okpri.com. Um, get on the website there, um, which they explain all that. So. Yeah. But if you're listening to this and you're just like, who are these people? Like, you want to learn more before you go into it? Or if you want to go on their website as you follow along with the interview, um, that's where you would go. Um, <laughs> I went through their Facebook page as we were doing the interview. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they have a really cool Facebook page. Every time they do an investigation, they normally have some videos and stuff up on there. Videos, pictures, you know. So, sometimes I share some of the stuff that they, uh, you know, some of the voices they were hearing at that moment and stuff like that. So yeah, they share some of that with us. Um, some EVPs. Uh, they were very very nice to do this interview with us. We yeah. just asked them out of the blue, and they took time out of their day to talk to us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, they seem like really awesome people, and we hope you really enjoy the interview. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. Yep. Well, with no, with, what is that? How do you say it? With no, no further, further ado. ado. <laughs> Here you go. Well, uh, we really thank y'all for agreeing to do this. Um, I was, like we were telling Christy a while ago, we've never done an interview before, so we're kind of getting this set up. But uh, I think we're good to go whenever y'all are. Um, before we ask you some questions, tell us about y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves and kind of let everybody know who you are. All right. Uh, my name is Christy Clark, and I'm founder and director of a paranormal research team it's called OKPRI, which stands for Oklahoma Paranormal Research and Investigations. Okay. Cool. And, and I'm Kathy Wickham. I am the historical researcher for OKPRI. I've been working with Christy since 2011. All right, awesome. Um, well, I guess I'm going to start out here. Uh, can you just tell us how long has, uh, so it's OKPRI? Yeah, that's got, the acronym for it. got the K in there? Okay. So how long has OKPRI been around, and uh, how did y'all get started? Well, I formed the team in June of 2000. 
just because I had an interest in the paranormal. Um, I have gifts, so I'm able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits on the other side. And, um, you know, it was something I was always taught against because I was raised really religiously and told that, it, you know, it was, it was bad. It was with the devil and, you know, don't pursue that stuff. But it still didn't didn't change the fact that I could see them and hear them and um, was, you know, had experiences growing up as a kid. And I just wanted to learn more about it. Instead of being scared of it, I wanted to understand it. So I ended up, um, you know, going with a friend of mine to begin with, and he had an interest in the paranormal too. And he's like, hey, why don't we, you know, go out into a cemetery, get us photographs and, you know, uh, audio recorder, and we'll, you know, do a little ghost hunting. And I thought, you're crazy. Because you know, I'm thinking of Hollywood's version of a hand coming up from behind, you know, underneath the grave, pulling me down by the ankle. And I just, I wasn't comfortable with that. But he uh, talked me into it one day. And so I went. And um, I was, yeah, I was scared. I ain't gonna lie. I was like, the, the real roads at the cemetery kind of looked like something from Scooby Doo. You know, the trees were all like over the, uh, the road. And it just, you know, add a little bit of fog. And maybe you'd have something out of Scooby Doo. But, um, but I went, and, uh, of course, you know, I saw things in the cemetery. But what really, you know, got my attention, I think, most of all, is because right there um, at the end of our investigation, we were there for a couple hours. Um, but we actually, we were saying, you know, we're getting ready to leave, so if there's anybody that has anything to say, now's the time to say it. And then all of a sudden we heard, like, footsteps behind us. And we turned around and shone the flashlight, and there was nobody there. And uh, we're like, okay, well, maybe it's time to go. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we went over our our, um, our photographs, and at the time, you know, 20 years ago, it was uh, it was thoroughly black and white digital cameras with a 35 mil, you know, that you had developed. It didn't really have access to all the digital stuff that we did today. But we got some fascinating pictures from the cemetery, and um, when I listened to the audio uh, during that time that I was I was speaking about when we heard the footsteps. Uh, there was a female's voice, and she said, hi, I'm Samantha. Well, and I was like, whoa. Like, that was my very first EVP. I want to photograph. I was just intrigued. I'm like, okay, I got to know more. I got to know more. So, you know, I just kept investigating and started my own team uh, with my friend originally and ended up um, just, you know, gathering great evidence, started out in the cemeteries, and then word got out and, did a residential, um, and then it went from there to more residentials to businesses to where we are today. So wow. that's that's how I started. Kathy, you can kind of explain yeah. on your end. Yeah, and um, I'm originally from New England, so I grew up in New Hampshire and Massachusetts around houses as old as the Salem Witch Trials, late oh. 1600s, early 1700s. So, you know, and, and there were kids that, lived in houses with secret passageways and always had these stories that their house was haunted. And so I was always curious, and how come I didn't see anything in my house? <laughs> so start, you know, I read books on it, and, you know, I looked I, – I, the first book I read was kind of a scientific book about the ball lightning theory and energy and spirits. So I kind of started with a skeptical mindset and trying to explain it scientifically. So that's kind of um, where – I sort of come in with the interest, um, but I started investigating with Florida Ghost Team in Florida back, oh gosh, 2009, I think, and um, was with that team for about a year before we, my family moved here to Oklahoma. Uh, so I wasn't finished yet, as Christy said, you know, very intrigued with some of the curious things we saw and heard, 
and wanted to keep going. So I searched for a team to join and found Christy and OKPRI at that time. Yeah. That's how I got into it. That's awesome. And so, we've never ever since because we like her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, that's why I like the history and the research, too, just coming from a historic part of the country. You know, there's always that backstory. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great at the historical research. Like, she can pull stuff out that you would never think even existed. Old documents <laughs> are just things that collaborate. A lot of things that go into our investigations, um, if it's a residential, she can pull up deeds and just all sorts of stuff, you know. And if it's a historical place, she's pulling up all sorts of historical documents. And So it, she's really a great asset to OKPRI. We love having her on the team. Yeah, we need one. Of, we need one of those for the Hatchery podcast. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is pretty cool. Um, private investigator work in a sense because you give me a name and an address, and you know, depending on the county, I might be able to find out. You know, a lot of people can do it online too and get a lot of that information. But knowing where to search and how to, you know, yeah. what which terms to look for. Um, but mostly, what I'm doing is just looking for who owned the house, uh, getting any names searching newspapers, did anything happen in the property and, you know, at the house that might have something to do with um, the the uh, things that the client is experiencing, just to kind of validate it and see if there's anything historical going on. Gotcha. Yeah. So and one of the things about Oklahoma is the records. A lot of the records were not even really kept until, like, the 1920s. And yeah, so there's exactly. a lot of, of stuff that you can't find unless it was, you know, a um, – upstanding citizen, you know, that had a lot of money or something within the community, and then, you know, you find more records that are uh, more easily accessed. Yeah. Oklahoma's behind a little bit. Yeah. It's it's more than just one thing, yeah. Um, Yes. (laughs) Um, So what would be – yeah, yeah, bad words. So what would be a rough estimate on how many investigations y'all do per year? Well, I think, Kathy, if you'd agree with me, we, we usually do a couple of months. Um, and so, you know, it, sometimes we could have, you know, two to three. Um, we have had cases all the way where we do one pretty much four and five and six. It just kind of depends upon the need. Um, if it's, you know, a case with, with children, we, we put that as a priority because, you know, we don't want the children right. to be scared. But oh, roughly yeah. anywhere from 24, what would you say, 24 maybe to 30 on average, Kathy? Yeah, it depends. There are some years where we, we get a lot of uh, requests for investigations and other years where it kind of slows down. It, it Really, I, I think it goes with the popularity of the shows on television. I think sometimes people get into those paranormal yeah. things and then everybody <laughs> thinks they have a haunting and we're busy. <laughs> yeah. And October picks up, too. Like, I guess everybody thinks about ghosts during October. <laughs> so we tend to be pretty busy during October. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll, we'll have media that seeks us out, you know, um, to do like a little show or, you know, just different things. And then people are, oh, you know, they, they've always got a story to kind of tell you, especially around Halloween time. So, yeah. <laughs> How many would you say you've done this year so far? Uh, what do we have oh, jeez, let's see. Would you say maybe a dozen, Kathy, yeah. roughly? Probably about that, about, about two a month. Wow. So, yeah. dur- like, during, you know, an investigation, how long does it take, like, the, like the process of breaking everything down? Like, you start, you know, from start to middle to, I guess, finish. Like, it takes a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, it depends it on the case, too. 
Um, we can, we, depending on the time of year and when it gets dark out as well, we might start later in the summer since it's light out. Um, but we'll we'll meet with the client and have them show us around, show us where they um, they're experiencing things. That way we can, you know, think about where to set up cameras or what kind of equipment we might need. And that could take like half an hour to an hour, and then we set up equipment for about another hour. Um, and we have different phases. Christy can explain those, but um, we have different phases of the investigation where we, we do different things throughout the night. And each night can be different. If we're getting a lot of activity early, um, then we might not have as long of a night. Or if it's taking longer and we're just not really finding anything out or experiencing anything, then uh, we might stay a little bit later um, hoping that we're able to catch something or get some answers for the clients. So it can vary. But we're usually still there at by midnight, 1 o'clock-ish. <laughs> wow. What is that? And it has, it has gone later. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, I know when I reached out to you that night, I didn't even realize how late it was. And uh, you got back to me real quick, and I was like, oh, it's like almost midnight. And you said you were closing out a case right then. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we um, – like, the, it just kind of depends upon the activity of place, like Kathy was saying. So, like, the first part of it, when they when they do go in and they meet with the client, usually, you know, it's, it's the majority of the team. I, I don't go in and I don't hear the claims. I don't see any of the, the requests that come in or anything. They keep me in the dark on that, and that's my preference. So that way, when they're done, I just kind of sit and chill, play games on my phone or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I'm waiting, and then I'll go inside, um, and then, you know, I'll meet with the client and say hi and introduce and um, then the, the clients will normally leave, and at that point is when, um, you know, we go ahead and we start setting up the equipment. So that's kind of where I I come, you know, involved in that part um, from the rest of the night. But on average, uh, we, we tell clients it could take anywhere from four to six hours, you know, for us to investigate, and that, uh, that includes the wrap-up, but it doesn't always include, like, the initial client interview, speaking with the client. Depends on if they're chatty or not, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But we do try to try to get in and, and try to get started as quickly as possible. And on those nights when it's really cold, I'm texting the team, "Hey, I'm freezing out here. You need to find <laughs> Let me come back in, please, in the heat." Yeah. <laughs> so and the Oklahoma nights do get cold. We, we make her yeah. outside just because um, if Christy doesn't know the claims. And uh, she's, it's easier for her with her gifts to tell if any kind of signs, symbols, or voices she's hearing, names she's hearing, um, are from actual spirit or is it something from her own memory. So if she doesn't know any of the stories, it kind of helps her to know, hey, this, I don't know anything about this house, but I am picking up on, you know, so-and-so. And right. <laughs> then, you know, myself, I usually keep some of the history to myself as well. Um, unless it's important to share with the rest of the team, like we have to set up some kind of experiment or something. But that way it's it's clear that nothing was told to her. And uh, not that we don't trust Christy, it's just it's yeah. Yeah. gift, and it, it's more validating that way. It, it's, right, right. It actually makes her gift a little bit uh, better as the years go on. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, for an example, and Kathy likes to tell the story. Kathy, if you yeah. want to tell the Mrs. Hannah story, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I have there. I claim myself as the biggest skeptic on the team. And uh, I, Gary is our, our equipment manager. He's a, 
former police officer and a security guard, you know, got a very logical. Not that we're we're all pretty logical, but he and I kind of compete as the skeptics. But I'll say since he's not on the phone right now that I'm probably <laughs> going to be so I'll take him that pain. And uh, but but uh, you know, it's hard to really, um, you know, when I work with Christy and I have the history. Um, you know, I, I truly feel that she's she's got a, a valid gift there. That there's definitely something um, that she sees and hears. And and one of the the best examples of that was a night where I actually wasn't on a case. Um, I didn't have childcare for the evening, so I was just sitting at home, had nothing else to do after my kids went to bed. So I told Christy, look, I did all the history on the house. Um, I've got some information. You know, I'll. Um, I'll be at the ready if you have any other questions, you know, just text me and I'll, you know, I'll give you what I have on the history. Or if I don't have the answer, I can do a quick lookup right there on the Internet and give them some some live um, research. And so she's like, okay, well, they're at this um, turn of the century uh, Victorian style home. I think that's what it was. Um, Yes. And it, it was a. I'm sitting on the tailgate. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was an eighty nine er family, and the husband had built his wife's dream home. So this was this was a huge house for you know a bunch of kids that they had, and you know they were settling in. So he was he pretty much made it for her, and he was about maybe a decade or more older than her, uh, failing in health. So he actually ended up passing away nine years after they moved into that house. Um, so she was the the predominant um, figure within the home for a couple of decades until in the 80s, their, uh, her children who had inherited the home finally sold it to somebody outside the family. So it was even passed down um, through a generation or two. And so that family had a, um, a huge presence in that home, and their energy was clearly there because uh, Christy was, was – um, picking up on a dominant female, and she said, um, I'm getting a name, and the name is Hannah. And, you know, right then and there, I was just like, cause, you know, I knew Christy and her gift, but this was an exact name. It was the first time she'd actually pulled an exact name. Um, the, the family surname was Hannah. It was Mrs. Hannah huh. um, that owned that house. And it's just and I was sitting on the tailgate waiting on them. When yeah, I had this woman come up and she said, "Hi, I'm Hannah," and oh, wow. I said, "Hello," and then she disappeared. And then I texted Kathy. I said, "Hey, got this female here, and she's saying, you know, the name is Hannah. I don't know if it was first name, last name, what." Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah, so I mean, that's why it's it's really important to get some kind of preliminary research so I can see who's lived in the house, who owned it. You know, if Christy gets any of these names. But what's even what really set it in for me? The story still goes on is at the moment that she said, um, I'm picking on a name, or picking up on a name, and it's Hannah, um, in my house, in my office, I was sitting in my dining room, but in my office, I heard a loud crash, like something fell. This is in my house. I'm not even on the investigation. And my kids are sound asleep, so, and there's nothing in that room. (laughs) It's just an office. Uh, Computer's off. Everything is off in there. Um, I go in to see if anything fell over, and nothing was out of place. It was the strangest thing. And sure. then I'm thinking, oh, crap, now my house is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if I would have went in that room. Nothing yeah. happened after that, but. Well, you've got to check it out, Drew. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you do. <laughs> I think every skeptic um, 
it, it, looking for that aha moment, and uh, and maybe that was Mrs. Hannah's way of saying this is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as a skeptic of our group, I mean, I've been waiting on that moment for a long time, and it still hasn't come around yet. But you know, I digress. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I'm wondering, Christy? So you said this lady walked up to you and said she was Hannah. I mean, do you, when that happens, I mean, do you know that that's not a living person right then? Or were you, like, surprised that this person was just gone? I mean, how does that work exactly? Well, when they disappear, the first guess is, oh, it's a ghost. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, living people just can't move that fast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm messing with you. Uh, but, no, most of the time I can tell, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a ghost. I mean, um, sometimes I see things, though, and if Kathy come back up, and I'm like, hey, did you all just see that? Because I just saw that, you know, and they're like, no. I'm like, okay, I must have saw that the other side. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, but most of the time I can tell, and I knew with Miss Hannah uh, when she came up that that was, you know, it was a ghost. So, um, and it's caught me off guard sometimes. Um, I, I haven't, you know, um, I haven't, like, had a heart attack or freaked out or, or urinated on myself or anything, so we're good. <laughs> That's good. Uh, you know, they have, <laughs> yeah, they have come up and taken me off guard sometimes, especially if they're, uh, like, a chaotic earthbound spirit that's just out to cause trouble. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes they'll threaten you, and I've had them, like, get up right in my face. And, um, but then, you know, there's other spirits who are just kind of here lingering around, and uh, it could be a relative or it could be someone like Miss Hannah that's just content where they are. And, you know, they're friendly, and they'll come up and say hello, and, you know, those absolutely don't, you know, don't scare me or anything, so. so but I have been spooked before. <laughs> are, are, they all, are they all just, you know, ghosts or spirits, or, I mean, what about, like, you know, say demons or anything? Is, is that real, or is anything you've experienced? Yes. Um, we have had a case, and it's in El Dorado, Oklahoma, um, where we encountered a demonic presence, and, um, you know, a lot of people, when they contact about investigations, they say, oh, I have a demon in my house. I have a demon in my house. Well, we go in with an open mind because we know that a lot of people are just, they don't understand the paranormal. Um, they fear what they don't understand. So, um, you know, we don't always go in expecting a demonic presence. And most of the time it's like it's just a chaotic earthbound. Um, and, you know, earthbounds can... They can they can turn negative too. The longer that they're on this side, and they start to to resent and hate the living because you know they're not living as well again. So, um, but with El Dorado, there was a true demonic um, haunting, and this is before Kathy's time. This was back in 2008 before she joined us. But what happened is we had a, a family that contacted us, El Dorado, Oklahoma. Um, he was from that area. Uh, Mr. Solis was, and so they decided to retire out there. So they they bought this house. That was once a church, and they had a church on one side and a parsonage on the other, and they connected them. So they bought this, and they were going to renovate it, and they were going to move into it and live, you know, for their retirement. Well, shortly after moving in, they started noticing strange things. They were smelling like foul, um, just bad odors, and then uh, they were also seeing shadows. They were hearing voices. Um, you know, their dogs are uh, – they had little chihuahuas. And one of them got real ill and died, and the other one became real sick and started losing its hair, and it would just growl and growl. Um, in fact, we got a recording uh, when we went out there of Pongo, their dog. He was growling, and then you hear this voice come in, and he says, 
er, bite me, bite me, bite me. Like he was antagonizing the dog. Well. Um, so, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, okay. I so, was just, I just thought that was kind of, kind of made my, the hair on my neck stand up. <laughs> oh, you ain't heard nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, um, they, they were in the kitchen. They had two kitchens. Uh, one for the church, one for the parsonage. But they were renovating the, the, the older kitchen for the parsonage, and they were peeling off the old paint because they were going to repaint the cabinets. And this was, like, in November, so they had the windows closed because it was kind of a crisp November day. And um, all of a sudden, they just had a swarm of flies that were just all in the kitchen. And they were like, what in the world? You know, the windows and doors aren't open. So they got the raid, and they started spraying some rain on them. And instead of falling to the floor dead, they were just disappearing. Um, they had also reported a seeing a uh, it was like a dog, like a large dog, and it would it would smell real bad and it would growl. Um, and then one particular night, which was really odd, they went to bed and they woke up, and when they woke up, they noticed that the female uh, Mrs. Sleese had a cross drawn on her forehead. It looked like in black marker, and then she had some sort of weird symbol, like C type symbol, on her cheek. Um, and then Mr. Solis said his hair was burning, and he went to go to the mirror, and there was this white substance in it, and he washed it out, and his hair fell out. And so they're like, we've had enough. We we just can't take this. So they didn't have internet, but they had their sister-in-law reach out to us. So we made the three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour drive down there to El Dorito and investigated it multiple times. But on the first initial time that we went, um, I did have a, a team member who was very new. We were just kind of trying him out, um, and he decided that he was going to do a little provoking in the front. Um, you know, when I wasn't when I wasn't watching, I was inside with the clients, and was basically telling them to come get in. You know, show yourself, blah 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 blah. Um, and I find this out later. And then he wrote, "Come play on the side of the house with like a little uh, crystal type thing." Like it was antagonizing it. Long story short, we let him go. Uh, because of his unprofessional behavior. But when I was inside interviewing, um, you know, they were telling me they thought it was a demon, and we started to investigate. And up on the second floor in one of the rooms, you know, I I do what's called a walkthrough on our investigation. So we have our client interview. um, We have our setup. Then we have, like, our our walkthrough, and that's where I go throughout the rooms. And I see, um, you know, I, I hear and I listen to try to see what ghosts are there, why they're there, what they want, that sort of thing. And then, you know, we'll do the investigation, sit down, and then wrap up phase. But when I was doing my walkthrough, I saw a little girl on the floor. She was in a yellow, like a light yellow dress and had like a little ribbon around it. And she had on black, like black shiny dress shoes with white bobby socks. And she was playing like jacks on the floor. And she she looked up at me and she smiled at me mischievously, kind of like what a kid would do if they were up to no good. Um, And then all of a sudden, her face started to lunge at me but it changed and it changed into the the best way I can tell you I'll just describe it to you so it was like a, a reptile and a reptilian type face it had um, holes in the cheek uh, and there were like worms moving like stuff moving in it um, and then it's it's its face kind of looked like it was decaying a little bit and then it had wide eyes but they were kind of like slanted almost like what cat eyes would be and then it had um, no regular nose, but it had, like, holes, like two holes for where a nose would be. And then it had this wide, gaping mouth, like big, big mouth um, with teeth. And then around its neck looked like um, like on a horny toad, like the appendages on a horny toad. 
you know, the little, I don't know what it's called, but um, the little spiky type skin that's around their neck, it had that. Yeah. So as her face changed and it turned into that and it just, it, it lunged, it lunged at me and disappeared and it, it, it really scared me. It scared the crap out of me. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Um, but I became very ill. I started shaking. I, I started sweating. I was very nauseated. I just felt horrible. And I said, I have to get out of this house. I just have to get out of the house. So I quickly, uh, another investigator kind of helped me out of the house. And um, we were driving a, her minivan. And so she opened up her minivan and she said, you know, here. She was like, lay down for a minute. Um, you know, she went to go get, you know, some bottle of water. And I kept hearing it tell me, let me in, let me in. And, you know, I could, cause I could hear it talking to me and I was fighting it, telling it it needed to go, it needed to get off. And I became very angry. I mean, it was kind of throwing its emotions on me and I could feel the anger from it. And so, um, you know, she's like, uh, my friend said, listen, just lay here. I'll go get you some bottled water. And as she started to walk off, she told it, she said, you know, you, you better back off and leave her alone or you're going to have to deal with me. And then all of a sudden, I hear her call my name three times, Christy, Christy, Christy. And down she went. She fell backwards. Um, and when she tells us this part, she said she just kind of like blacked out. She don't really know what happened, and she fell. And when she when she did fall down, she didn't brace herself. You know, you could clearly see um, the, you know, the impact of how she hit the ground. And I was right there, and I jumped up. And in that moment, I, I totally felt re- like a release and like relieved, like it it wasn't around me anymore. It wasn't bothering me anymore. Um, but then what happened next was she's laying on the ground, and I go to kind of help her up, and she starts growling, and she starts speaking in some sort of weird language, and she starts laughing. Um, and this thing was taking control of her, basically. Um, and, you know, I was praying, and I, I, I recall this memory time and time again, and I could, if I could go back and change it, there are things that I would definitely do different. But, um, you know, I I just tried to commit it to leave in the name of Jesus and then to get out of her because I'm a praying Christian woman. Um, and, you know, timely after four long minutes, and we did get this on, part of it on video, and we do have an audio from this. It's on our website on the, the El Dorado House back from 2008. Um, but we finally got it to release. And she came out of it, and I had I had other group members around me who were, you know, helping me pray and telling her to get out. Um, but when it released, she woke up and she said, oh, my gosh. She said it was just so strange. She's like she could hear it, but she had no control over her body um, when she blacked out. And uh, she did get a concussion from the fall um, and, you know, went to go check out. But it scared her so bad that she quit investigating altogether. I bet. So, I you know. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to blame her for that. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't blame her for that at all. <laughs> I didn't blame her either. So as far as demonic presence, you know, we did research on the property. We looked up the symbol that was drawn on the female's cheek, and it was related to um, to the uh, the demon Belial, um, if I'm saying that correctly. And I, I contacted John's office. So, um, you know, I talked to him for a little bit. He did a little bit of research in the demonology, and he's the one that has that show, uh, The Haunted Collector. Um, oh, And so yeah. I talked to him. You know who that is? I think so. Older guy with glasses and kind of the white beard. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. I think I've yeah, I think I've seen that. that show. Yeah, so I you know, I spoke to him about it and then I had another friend named Carl Johnson. Um he was 
he did some filming in the early seasons with Jason and Grant on Ghost Hunters. Um, and so I talked to him about it and, you know, they, they came to the conclusion that they thought that, you know, might not, might not have been the Archdemon Belial, but maybe, you know, um, the, the legions underneath him, you know, like, um, I guess they have, um, with the, the demonic realm, there's like always a lead demon and then you have minions underneath and he thought it could have been one of those. Um, and later on, we did bring Carl Johnson out to the property to do like a cleansing and, uh, the case got out and got known and Animal Planet, um, contacted us and we did, we did filming, you know, on the location and things that happened there. But very scary case. Um, that was one case and then there was one other one. If you want me to tell you about that, it will not. That's fine too. But, um, as far as the monarch presence, so I do, do I believe that they're real? Absolutely. Um, and I believe that with demons, you also have angels, and then you have earthbound spirits. Um, you know, spirits are, at the time of death, when someone dies, they have that ability to cross over. But for whatever reason, they may choose to stay here. It could be like if a mother's more, if, you know, two daughters are mourning the death of their mother, she feels like she's needed, so she stays to comfort them. Um, it could be that people were tied to that guy. You know, it's like, hey, that's my house, that's built. Or maybe they were in, really connected to their car or jewelry or furniture or you know, earthly possessions here, um, it could be that they were raised religiously. So they are scared that, oh, I might have had a little sin in my life. So if I cross over into that light, man, they're just going to send me straight down to hell with the devil because, you know, sin can't enter into heaven. Um, and then there's the traumatic case where, you know, it's car wreck or it's instantaneous death and they weren't aware of what happened. And so, um, you know, and, and Children's spirits are another thing. Um, sometimes they're scared to go into the light because they don't know what awaits, or maybe um, if they die with their parents, their parents don't go, they stay. I mean, there's just different reasons why, um, you know, spirits are here. So, But you you do have the, you know, earthbound spirits, and then you have angels and demons, and, um, you know, and then you have those that are transcendent uh, that do come back and, and watch over your loved ones and help out, so. Wow. So hopefully that answered your question. Sorry, I didn't mean for that to go on forever. No, no, no that's that's really great. Yeah, it was that was that's a really interesting one. Um, I mean, we don't. I don't know how much time y'all have. I don't want to keep y'all longer. But I mean, you said you had another story. If you want to talk about that one too. Yeah, I'm good with that, Kathy. You good with that? Um, yeah, I, but I will add. Um, it does seem like a lot of our clients think that they do have uh, a demonic presence in their home, and it, it is 99% of the time not the case. That's an extremely, extremely rare um, case. And, again, you know, the group's been around 18 years, and there's only been those two cases, really. I mean, Christy, unless you remember any others. But, um, you know, I think a lot of times the fear and, you know, our homes are our safe place. So, Obviously, our clients are scared and, and don't really know what's going on. That's why they reach out to us. Our primary mission is to help them figure out, one, is it truly a haunting or, you know, or is there a logical explanation for what's going on? And if there is a haunting, is it something that's harmful? What, what, who is it? Why are they there? Um, what do they want, et cetera? So, um, but, you know, if you're, you're in your home and you're, you know, your safe place is supposed to be your home, and you're having this strange activity, it can be very daunting and very scary, and a lot of people can jump to that demonic conclusion if, you know, they have any scratches or anything like that. And we've oftentimes found that some spirits can try to contact you and connect with you, 
um, but don't really know their strength in a sense, and it can come off as being, you know, pushing or hurtful, and it's not intended. It's more of trying to get your attention, and um, they just happen to scare you more because a, a lot right. of our clients are scared to death, and we find out the spirits that are there might be a loved one just watching over them, or maybe there's, you know, a, a, an earthbound spirit that's bored and just trying to get attention of the homeowner and, you know, and it, it turns out that, you know, they're getting a thrill out of trying to scare these people. So it can come off demonic in that way. Um, so I think we try to reassure people that it's extremely rare to have a demonic case, um, as scary as it is. And, you know, not to not to um, lessen the true fear that they're feeling and to minimize it. it you know, we're certainly understanding of that. But I right. think it's like cool they know how rare that really is. Right, and like like y'all said earlier, I mean, we we fear what we don't know. So I mean, if, if you know the littlest thing goes on in my house, I mean, that might be something that I automatically jump to. Is like, right. it's, you know, it's got to be a demon. You know what I mean? Uh, right, and but, we're not trying to disprove that anything's happening at anybody's house. You know, we truly exactly, feel that yeah. sometimes there could be one really valid experience, and then the clients put on edge, and you know, they're like, oh my gosh, that was real. That was a ghost. And now everything that happens in their house, they're not sure if it's something logical or if it's a ghost. So they may think that their house is just completely full of activity. We get there and there's really nothing happening. Or we can explain all the little things that go on. How do you explain to your client, like after you've done your investigation and you come to the conclusion that it's, you know, there's no ghost, there's no demon or anything like that. Like how do you explain to them, like, you need to quit worrying and it's nothing we we don't usually end a, a, an investigation telling somebody that they definitely have a haunting or they definitely don't. We say, you know, the time we were there, we didn't experience anything. It doesn't necessarily mean you didn't have anything happen, but here's what we think it could be. Um, we just kind of give them our best, I guess, educated guess. You know, that's the best way to explain it. Um, but, Usually, if they do have activity, though, now we will tell them. Yeah. This is what we had happen. Here's the activity that we recorded, whether it's photograph, whether it's EVP, uh, video. And, you know, we tell them we think you may have something there. Uh, and then, you know, if I if I also feel compelled, I'll let them know this is who I connected with this evening. This is who I feel you have in your home. May give right. them some names, details. Um, but one of the things that I'll try to do. Not in every case, but if I feel compelled, especially if there's children in a home, I will um, I'll open up the the doorway, the white light, and I'll I'll call for help from the other side to get them to cross over, and that has been successful. We've had a lot of cases where the activity has stopped um, because I've been able to cross over spirits. So, uh, but wow. some of them are content. They don't. You know, like some of them like living with their ghosts. <laughs> like, we don't want to leave. We just want to know about it. You know, are they going to hurt us? Or, we're like, it, okay. Is it somebody else? Yeah. Um, yeah that's true. We, we just kind of, if we don't experience anything, we don't necessarily tell them that they don't have something here. Because, you know, we're not there to tell anybody, oh, no, it's all in your head. We're trying to help them to, you know, here's what it could logically be, um, you know, if we don't experience anything or we're trying to debunk things in the house and, you know, using our experiences in other cases and sharing that information with them, that usually helps. Um, but, you know, a lot of, like like I said, you know, we'll tell the client, we, we feel that what you experienced could have truly been um, real and paranormal, um, 
but this this claim or that claim we can explain as otherwise, you know. So, you know, we're honest on both sides uh, of that. And we need to give them an investigative report of the conclusion. Um, usually six to eight weeks on over every bit of evidence that we've recorded. Each one of our members will put claims together, like they'll put a report together of anything they may have experienced. Um, you know, they may say, uh, for example, Christy's audio recorder was in the living room when we were doing sweeps, um, and she thought she heard something. And then later on, when she listened back to her audio, she saw she heard a female voice in the way of an EVP say, "I see you." You know. Um, so we'll, we'll put that together. We combine all of our reports into one. Kathy does his, her historical uh, research, and we put that list set up at the top, and then we put our investigation report. We break it down by uh, by section. You know, like. Uh, client interview set up, um, you know, investigation sweeps, uh, you know, sit down, kind of wrap up. So we break that all down for them and include the evidence in. And then I do a piece at the end called psychic investigator comments. And basically what I do then is I will list in there, you know, the ghosts that I have encountered, who they are, why they're there, what their story is. I basically tell their story. Um, and then, you know, how my reaction was to them if I were able to get them to cross or so forth. And then we list the evidence in the report down below. And then what we do is we turn that over to the client with the full report, uh, the historical stuff attached. Uh, if there's anything extra Kathy pulls up, you know, we'll attach that too. And then we give them a copy of all of the evidence um, if we record any. And, you know, say so here's what we found and here's what we think. And then, you know, we kind of leave it up to them to kind of go from there, you know, with their their final conclusion on it all. So, and even though we're done, we don't leave them hanging. I mean, there's been times that we've come back several times to a place or the client may contact us back and say, hey, I had a question about this. Or, you know, we, we check back with them. So it's not like we just do the investigation and leave. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still there for a client after the fact. We we have a um, case manager, Don, Donna Macias, who's excellent with that. She follows up with all of the clients. She's usually their first contact when they're um, seeking an investigation, and she'll walk them through the process and talk to them about what's going on. And she keeps in touch with them, too. And, you know, we get curious after a while. Sometimes it can be weeks and months, and we don't hear, and we're, we're wondering how they're doing. And um, so we'll reach out, or they, they oftentimes will get back with us before we get a chance to follow up. And um, so we don't just leave them high and dry. And we've had some, some clients come to us after they've had other teams investigate and, you know, still not having answers. And so we, we feel really strongly about the um, that client relationship and confidentiality when they want it to, you know. Because so come in, and one of the things our team won't do is we, we do not provoke. Um, just because, you know, we, we feel like it's bad manners and you go into a place and that's the last thing that you want to do is dissolve some ghosts. So not only do you leave or can you leave the location worse and more active and more chaotic for the client, um, you know, by doing that and that just makes it hard on everybody. And then, you know, it's disrespect too because spirits are people too. They just, they're in a different form. And so, right. and, um, you know, some teams will do that. So we do caution. Uh, we tell people that are seeking answers, you know, even if you don't seek out our group and you don't want to have our group, that's fine. But be careful who you bring in because they'll still provoke to get things um, recorded and as evidence-based. And, it, you know, yeah, it may benefit them and their research, but it doesn't benefit the client. So we're, you know, like Kathy said, we're we're very um, – we, we, we really – um, appreciate that client relationship that we have, and we're, we're truly there to help the client 
while furthering our research and knowledge. Yeah, I mean that that's very respectful of y'all. And I, I would I would appreciate that. You know, if it, if I was the homeowner and I was one that was going through all this stuff, I mean that would be. I, I don't want a mad spirit, you know, looking at me. You know what I mean? So that's, that's pretty. That's right. pretty cool. <laughs> We're always amazed at the trust that they put into us because, you know, we're essentially strangers to them and they open their home. I mean, it just goes to show how vulnerable they are and how scared to just let strangers or, I mean, they, they look at our, um, our feedback and stuff from other clients on our website, but, um, you know, they talk to us and they, they gain a little bit of trust, but still, essentially, they, they've not met us face-to-face, and here they are. They open their home to us, and they're putting the, the, the trust, in, you know, into our hands with their home. And right. So we, we want to honor that, of course. Exactly. And yeah. yeah, and about 95% of our clients leave, um, you know, while we're investigating the house because it just reduces – uh, the chances for contamination, uh, you know, because are they in there whispering or are they, in the, you know, moving around? So we can do a better investigation with a location that's, you know, that is client-free. Um, we've had them sit out in the front yard before. We've had them leave and go watch a movie or, you know, go visit or whatever. And they're like, hey, when you're done, you know, call me. Or sometimes they, they're going to spend that on at a relative's house and they just tell us how to lock up. And so, yeah, they, they, they do put a lot of trust in us and we – you know, we have a good reputation, and we do try really, really hard to maintain that and be very, very respectful. Gotcha. Uh, where, what would you say were some of your more memorable places you've investigated or just more of your more memorable investigations in general? Stone Line. Well, Alvarado was one for me. <laughs> yeah. Stone Line. Yeah. yeah, that was Yeah, Stone Line. We got a lot of evidence. Stone Line. Mm-hmm. Um. Gosh, we've had a lot of residential. We primarily do residential cases, but we've done some uh, some commercial property too. And uh, every now and then, like the summer months, sometimes get a little bit slower for us. So we'll we'll actually seek out some historical places that you know have a um, a reputation of being haunted, and we'll go in and and investigate them ourselves. You know, we've done museums, we've done theaters, we've done schools, um, we've done churches. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we've done a lot Churches of places. Were we're done done. <laughs> yeah. That was probably my more memorable was uh, the Sentinel case. Which one? The Sentinel case. That was one of my uh uh-huh. oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, that was a good case. That was a real good case. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, the Sunline Inn of course that that's got a lot of history to that. It was owned by the Holton family and they had a lot of kids and the rumor is that one of the little girls that was about seven or eight died of whooping cough. Um, she was accidentally over-medicated by uh, the maid and cost her a bad opiate at the time, and so she, she died. Um, and we can't really find records of this little girl. Um, for years, they thought it was a Augusta, but that wasn't true. Then there was a – Kathy, actually, you know, found the records of a girl named Irene, yeah. and um, – she was on the 1920s, but not the 1920s. Yeah, she she actually had lived to be an adult, so it wasn't her. And I found records that she existed in later decades. For Augusta. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, later on, urban legends and stuff like that that we kind of found out. But there's still there's definitely something there, and there's more to that story. And permanent families like that in some you know small towns in Oklahoma. Um, 
keep things pretty secretive, and you know, it's not like it's out in the newspapers of what went on in people's private homes. So yeah, um, but it was a funeral time for a, a funeral home for a long time too. Yeah, so Miss Funeral Home, and then they moved it. So yeah, um, that was one. And then I've always liked the Coma Park cases. It was one of my earlier cases. Um, I think it was back from 2002 or 2001 or something. I can't really remember, but um, it was memorable for me because of the spirit that was there. Uh, when we had gotten in there, I had a friend of Mark. She's like, hey, I had a couple friends who moved in here um, about, you know, six months ago, and um, they're just having all sorts of crazy activity. Can you come check it out? I'm like, yeah. So I loaded up the team and went out there, um, you know, and then I had a lady in the kitchen, and she told me, she said, May, heart attack. And so I was like, okay, that's weird. Well, long story short, we found out that, you know, the, the following May, she, an elderly woman, had died of a heart attack there in the kitchen. Um, and then I was drawn, and we did like a little sit down, and I was drawn to the, the front bedroom. And I seen a man standing there. And so I said, hey, let's go set up in the front bedroom and do like a little sit down in there. And so we did. And as I was sitting there just kind of like tuning in, all of a sudden I seen the whole room change. Uh, it, you know, it went from nighttime, and then all of a sudden it was daytime, and it was a vision is what it was. And the the, the, the curtains were blowing, you know, in the, in the wind, and it was hot. It was um, August of 1977, and there was this man who I'd seen. He was in uh, light jean shorts with no shirt, and he had like, a, like hair down to his shoulders. It was like sandy blonde hair. And he told me his name was Mark, and um, I seen him like stand up, and he kind of did a stretch, and he went to go. He was getting ready to go, I guess, lay down on the bed for a bit. But all of a sudden, I see plummet in his back. I didn't see the person with it, but I saw the hand and the knife plummet in his back, um, and stabbed him two or three times. And I seen him fall on the bed, and his hand was dangling, and there was blood that was dripping down, and. Um, all of a sudden, I saw this little toddler, probably, I don't know, one and a half or so, run across the, the doorway. And uh, come to find out, he told me that this was his son. And I saw the little boy come in the room and was shaking his, his dad's arm. My God, that, 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 you know. And he was standing outside of, um, like, in spirit. I see Mark standing there. And he was reaching out to his son and saying, Daddy, son is here. I'm here. I'm here, son. I'm here. And, boy, you talk about emotions. Like, he dumped all of his emotions on me. And I just started crying uncontrollably. You know, I was feeling everything that he was feeling. And um, They had to remove me out of the house um, just oh, wow. because it was so strong. And um, what had happened is there was a girl who lived up the street, and she was obsessed with him. And she was kind of a little schizophrenic. Um, he was, he had lived, he had lived there with his, uh, with his common wall, uh, common wall wife and, uh, and their child. And this, this girl down the street, her name was Alicia. She wanted him, Mark, to, to leave his wife and, and son and be with her. She was like obsessed. And so he wouldn't do that. So she had snuck in one day and, and stabbed him in the back. Um, I did contact the police department there. And I talked to them, and one of the officers that had been there in the force for a long time told me that he did remember a case, um, you know, that sounded familiar to that. And I said, well, can I get the records? And 
He said, well, all of those are paper copies, and they're boxed up, and they're in storage. None of that is online. Um, and I knew where she hid the knife, too. She showed me where she hid the knife. Um, and I said, to this big old tree down the street. And I was like, I want to go dig that up. You know, but I knew that people would probably think I'm crazy by going and digging a big hole in their yard by the tree. Um, <laughs> that was a very memorable, memorable case for me. Um, you know, I'll never forget that case ever. Wow. Yeah, yeah that would be that'd be pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, we've had a lot of them. Just It kind of varies from case to case. I mean, I encounter some of the different spirits, and they tell you their stories. And, you know, some, and the weird thing is, is a lot of their stories are unique. So, as Kathy can tell you, usually a story doesn't repeat ever. <laughs> different person, yeah. different, you know, circumstances. So, it's it's kind of neat. Like, you're meeting people just, you know, they're just dead people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, we've talked about y'all doing residential properties and, you know, more commercial things. Um, can you, you know, is there kind of a difference between the process when you do those two? And uh, I know y'all mentioned earlier that sometimes if it's kind of slow, you'll reach out to, like, museums and stuff. But, you know, by the sounds of it, if it's a residential, uh, most of the time do the homeowners just get a hold of y'all on, like, the website or email? Or how does that happen? Yeah, they reach out by Facebook, by email, the website. Um, well, we get a lot on Facebook too, and they're like, "Hey, got some crazy stuff going on. How you know? Uh, how how do we go about this?" And then, you know, our first step would be to say, "Hey, uh, you know, thank you for reaching out to us. We do have an investigation request, so we'll send that to them by email. If they don't have computer access, then we will do a photo interview with them and fill that out for them. But it just kind of gives us some basic case information, like." their address or contact information, why they think their house is haunted, what have they got going on, you know, have they have they done a seance or played with the Ouija board, um, if they have animals, do their animals react strangely to things, um, do they take psychotropic um, medicines, you know, things that may cause them to see things or hear things, um, do they have a history of mental illness, uh, well, I mean, we just, you know, it's probably about 25 questions or so, but once we get that back in, our case manager, Donna, goes ahead and makes contact with them, talks to them, gets all the, the details about their house. Um, she also, you know, screens them, makes sure they're not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, <laughs> we have had people contact us that actually wear felt foil on their head because they think the aliens are trying to, you know, pack into their brain or whatever. So right. um, <laughs> she'll be part of that. She, then she'll contact the, the, the team and she'll say, hey, you know, we need to put this one on the books. I think this is a good one. And then she'll send out the investigation request to all of the team but me. I don't get that. So, um, and then we'll set a date, and then we arrive um, on that date. So, and the difference between, I would say, the residential and the businesses, basically, you know, of course, you have clients at both, so that part doesn't change. Um, but with businesses, you know, sometimes they, they'll leave and sometimes they'll stick around. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is, like, with places that are, um, I guess, if they're unoccupied, you have you have a better chance of things recorded because you don't have the contamination, uh-huh. uh, you know, of the extra voices or the moving around or the shuffling around. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, if we go to investigate, like, a hotel, we, we really would prefer that the hotel be empty just because of, of that fact. Um, but, I mean, you do run into challenges when you say, Kathy, like, we did Ingalls Hotel. That was fun. Um, but yeah. it had electricity, but some places don't. So you may not have electricity in a place, and you have to do what we call old school. 
So it's everything handheld that you can charge and have your batteries charged. <laughs> um, we have a DVR set up, you know, and cameras in multiple places and we record it into a DVR. Um, but, you know, you have to be old school with that. You can't always, um, you can't always do that. So, you can't always um, just run a generator either because that noise uh, can contaminate your audio. So sometimes those places without electricity or air conditioning, we might have to delay that case till the fall or the, you know, sometime when the weather is a little more cooperative. But, um, but yeah, it's the same. So you're not buying any commercial and, so and uh, it. You said that in y'all's downtime, you check out, like, you know, like museums or places that have been known to be haunted. Do y'all go check out, like, abandoned houses or, you know, old, yeah. say, like, no, a, no, something no. like that? Um, every place should be uh, investigated with permission from the owner, the property owner. So we would never just show up anywhere and, you know, trespass or anything like that. We completely obey laws. But, you know, sometimes we'll have clients tell us, hey, there's this old abandoned house in our town. You know, everybody says it's haunted. You you know, you guys want to go investigate it? And we're like, sure. Do you know who the owner is so we can contact them? So we would never go uh, anywhere that's abandoned without permission from Even abandoned homes have some property owner, so. We would have to get permission. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, we've been yeah. nobody's living there and or people haven't lived there in years and uh we oftentimes will do that for a homeowner who's wanting to renovate and they don't want to put all that work into it <laughs> to find out the place is crazy haunted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sometimes we'll definitely we'll, have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice. investigated places where people have been murdered, killed. Uh, died of natural causes, and then sometimes we investigate places where there's been nothing that's happened, and we'll have, you know, a, a client contact us, and they'll say, hey, you know, we just had our house built, you know, two years ago. There's no reason why this house should be haunted, but we do the research on the property and stuff, and sometimes it can be associated with the land. Sometimes it can also be associated with the individuals, the, the homeowners, and, you know, for example, you know, if you have a Someone who works in the medical field and they're in a hospital where someone dies and that, that spirit decides to follow them home for some reason. Maybe they're attracted to their energy or maybe they remind them of somebody they knew in life. Or, um, you know, there's just different reasons why they, they choose to follow. It could be an energy source or maybe that person's sensitive. So I often refer to when I, I do readings and stuff for my clients that, um, you know, when we even talk to, to people that, that, that we investigate for, our clients there. We tell them, you know, sometimes it's like you're in a picture yourself in a dark room and you're this light and the stronger that your sensitivities are, the brighter that light is. And then you have these moths, which are the spirits, that are attracted to that light because they see that light as the way of help. And so they will follow, you know, they'll follow that light, follow that person into their home and, you know, of course, if they if they are not acknowledged or um, you know, if they need the help desperately then they can create a, a haunting and then sometimes you get them like someone will contact us and say well you know what you know why is it that all old houses are are haunted so they're not all haunted but older houses do have a lot of energy sources as far as that goes because if you look at wood as wood decays it puts off carbon well what do we use carbon for in our batteries <laughs> so yeah. it is an energy source um, limestone is another one um, you know that that is used as an energy source uh, places uh, your trains are another thing because there's a lot of, of electromagnetic fields coming off the tracks. So uh-huh. it just just kind of varies from you know, case to case or whatever. But 
and you do get a, some places that are, are more haunted to others, and then sometimes the place doesn't really have a whole lot of activity, but it's just the clients just swear and all sorts of stuff happens, and you kind of got to be there at the right time, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that all makes sense. I've never thought about it like that. That, that is pretty cool, though, to sit back and think about it, though. Yeah, I've never thought about the train thing before. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. We, we've had a location we had a location recently that had a limestone and train tracks and water also nearby. Floating <laughs> water. So they were like a complete setup right there. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, oh, you guys are, you guys are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Just get out. Yeah. Just start over. We, we have a little joke, too. You know, we go to a place and we, we hear a train. We're like, ah, paranormal train. You know, it's like a yeah. we have, that's like, you know, a lot of places that are, you know, that are by train for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. But you find, um, especially lately, it seems most of our client or our cases don't end up being a haunting associated with the home or the property. They oftentimes are associated with the the person within the home. It just seems to be the trend lately of a lot of our um, residential cases. So gotcha. almost immediately we look at our investigation requests, and one of the questions is, you know, did you have any experiences in your previous home? And that's almost a, you know, a dead giveaway if this is somebody that's following them and not necessarily something with their property. But, and that's where I come in because I'll look at the property ahead of going into the case, and then I'll continue some more research after getting Christie's uh, readings and what she picks up on. I'll, I'll dig further on the stories um, that she she hears or sees. But um, gotcha. but it does seem to be a lot of personal attachment of some sort lately. Yep. Yeah. Um, I got we got a few more questions for y'all. Uh. You know, I noticed, Christy, you you have a book. It's called Spirits Among Us. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and, like, the process it took to write it and, if you want to, like, where people can get a copy of it? Yeah. Um, I I just felt really compelled to kind of write down some of my experiences that I had. So I kind of start the book off with giving a little bit of information about spirits, um, you know, and kind of the background of the spiritual movement with the Fox sisters and, the, you know, the theory on the Nephilim, which are the fallen angels, um, as far as some of the unknown spirits and so forth. And then, um, we, you know, we talk about, um, you know, can you you know, about ghosts and how they kind of originated, uh, where they came from. And then I kind of start to tell my story. So I, I go from the beginning um, and how I was raised up and, you know, my experiences as a, as a child. Um, and then I go into the awakening, which is another chapter that basically talks about how my ghost hunting got started and how I uh, started experiencing things like with the story I told you with the cemetery and the Scooby-Doo thing. Yes. <laughs> so it talks about that. And then it, it, covers, it covers different different um, topics. So, so like, it'll talk about children's attachment, talk about children and the paranormal. Um, you know, it'll talk about, um, you know, spiritual attacks. Um, just different topics that people would experience within the paranormal. But behind that, I give the ghost stories. So, you know, associated with it, like I talk about El Dorado that we've mentioned already. I talk about the come apart, uh, you know, with the spirit mark. So I tell you the stories and, and the ghost stories in there, but I'm also giving you um, helpful information, you know, along the way on how to deal with these issues and the things, you know, that I did to kind of, 
was me and my group to, you know, kind of solve these cases and, like, help the spirits and so forth. So um, if you're interested in ghosts and real true ghost stories, then, you know, you would enjoy it. Uh, they say chapter 10 is pretty spooky, though, so they said don't read that in the dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> my, my publisher is Author House um, currently, and uh, you, so you can go to the Author House website. Um, you can also, you know, type in Spirits Among Us, Christy Clark, on Amazon. Um, you'll find that. It's your digital copy, and it's uh, it's also in hardback copy. copy. So, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to find and to purchase if you want a copy. So I know Amazon sells them for different prices. I think Author House sells them for like nineteen ninety five or something like that for the yeah. copy. And so um, it's good read though. You know, if you if you're interested in the paranormal, and I had plans to like write another one. I'm working on that. So it, it did take a long time for the first one. I just kind of I started it and just kind of like wrote it, and it did take several years to kind of you know go over and get that done. And um, I finally got serious, and it was published in March of two thousand and fifteen. So and it's it's done fairly well. Okay, that's good. awesome. Yeah, I'm not. She forgot to mention that there's some pictures in the middle too of the book. She has some samples of some photos, and the cover is actually one of the first photos she took from that investigation in the very beginning in the cemetery that she was talking about early. So you know, it's all her uh, original photographs and evidence in there too. That's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. Thanks, Kathy. As you go through the book and you read the stories, <laughs> if there was any evidence associated with that story, I show you. Uh, the picture of the stuff, and I'll just tell you kind of like about the ADPs and so forth. Yeah, thanks for that, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> One of my New Year's resolutions was to read more, so I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you have to let me know if you like it. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that y'all are having an event in Broken Arrow on July 14th, is that right? Yep, yeah. Saturday, July 14th. Okay, uh-huh. okay. Um, could y'all explain to everyone kind of like what, what it's about and... um how they would go about signing up to attend. Yeah, go for it, Kathy. You want to explain it? Uh, yeah, it's it's our second um, paranormal conference. So somebody came gave us the idea a couple of years ago to do a conference, and we had different topics other than just ghosts. And uh, this time we're, um, we're doing our, our usual ghost hunting. Um, one of our presentations is a sample of our best case evidence, and um, we'll be showing – Photographs and playing some sample audio clips that um, that we've we've picked up along the way, and um, and then and tell the stories behind them. Yes, tell the stories behind them. Um, yeah. Christy also invited um, a Bigfoot investigator to come, and he he spoke at our first conference too, and brought some sample castings of some Bigfoot imprints that he's found, and he talks about some of the sightings that have been seen in Oklahoma. So it's it's a, a variety of things, not just ghosts, but um, but yes, we will be there and we will bring some of our evidence and share. Is there a certain yep, place online? Kind of doing a little present. Do what? Is there a certain place online that you know we have to get tickets to, or like, how do we go about that? Yeah, it's on our website, right, Christy? You have a link there. Okay. I believe so. I know on our okay. Facebook page, there's a a sign up link. You can just click the link and put your name down and. Um, you know, we only have a certain amount of, of slots, so once the spot, slots are filled, then we're full. Um, right. And you could just come and pay at the door. And the sign-up reminds you of the event, you know, sends you an email call, uh, confirming and then reminds you of the event as well. So um, we're, we had a pretty good turnout last time, and, you know, our, I think our last limit is about 50 people for this one. Um, but 
we're looking forward to it. I'm I'm going to do a little presentation too on how to kind of connect with spirits and loved ones on the other side. And I know we're doing an EVP presentation, and we make it fun. It's interactive. So like if we were we play an EVP, and we're like, okay, so what do you hear? And we have the you know the audience tell us what they hear in the EVPs, and then. Um, we do one on spirit photography. So we're going to show you some actual ghost photos too, and we're going to show you some fakes and how people misconstrue some, um, you know, spirit photography and say it's real when it's not. So it's just really educational. And then Jim, Jim Whitehead, of course, is our, our Bigfoot researcher, and he's been researching for countless years, and um, he's he's got a Bigfoot um, casting that's just insane. He has several of them, but this one is like super huge. So, um, and he just brings them almost everybody's home, and we'll have it set up where, you know, we'll have questions and answers for people as we go along throughout the presentation, too. So it's very interactive. But, yeah, sign up on Facebook or through our website, or if they're, um, you know, not sure how to do that, they can always email us, um, christyokpri.com. And, uh, or I'm sorry, christyokpri.hotmail.com. They can email in or call us, and uh, 405 Six nine nine ten sixty eight, or my number is four zero five nine two 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 one nine eight, and they awesome. can sign up that way as well. I'll add that we're a nonprofit group too, so there is a, a charge for the conference. It, it also it pays the facility that um, hosts us, as well as the money goes to help either replace damaged equipment because with all the all the setup and takedown we do, sometimes our, our equipment gets bumped around and damaged. But it also can help us when we travel. Um, several hours away to help out clients. Um, it can help us pay for gas sometimes. And, uh, so it all goes directly back to helping others when we investigate. So, awesome. Um, right, because we don't charge anything for our investigations yeah. at all. So. We're not paid for what we do. We, we all have full-time jobs outside of the investigating, so uh, it's purely voluntary um, on the investigator's part to be there. And um, We do it because we want to help people, and we want to experience and see and learn uh, from the paranormal. Awesome. Right, and our our team consists of like seven people, so we're a smaller team, um, and we have three guys and four gals, uh, but we we're all um, you know we're all older too, thirties and forties, so um, you know we're not just your amateur fly by night ghost hunters. So um, yes. you know we have years and years of combined experience too. Good, good deal. Yeah. Um, well, let's see here, Michael, you got a. Uh, question for them. Uh, hold on, I was I was actually skimming through their Facebook page. Oh yeah, <laughs> trying to find some stuff. <laughs> well, well, I and you know, Kathy has Kathy has a couple of sample EDPs that she could play for you guys too, if you want to hear them. Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll play something on my laptop. I guess a little sampling of what you might hear. Um, Christy, you want to want me to play our favorite and set up the story? Yeah, so this one that she's about to play, yeah, this one that she's about to play was from a uh, Tulsa residential. This is before Kathy's time, but uh, this one came directly off my audio recorder. Um, the the clients were seeing a little girl in the home, and, you know, they weren't scared, but they were kind of freaked out a little bit. And so they invited us to come in, and um, I had, we were in the, the the process of, like, bringing in our equipment. And so they were talking about, you know, we're hungry. What are we going to do about eating? And, you know, one of them says, hey, you know, I guess they're going to have some sort of party afterwards. But they're like, you know, he's going to be buying pizza afterwards. And then the girl goes, ooh, then I'll wait. And then all of a sudden you hear this little girl's voice come in and she says, oh, I want my din din. 
loud as you can be. It's probably the best Class A EVP I've ever heard. So you have them in different classes. Like A is like the loudest. Um, you can make it out. Then you have B, which you can still make it out, and it might be a little lighter tone. And then C is kind of usually like a lighter whisper and sometimes harder to kind of make out. But she can play this one for you. Yeah, and there, uh, there's no children ever on an investigation um, except mm-hmm. in an extremely rare instance. So there's no children that were there. And you can tell when you listen that nobody reacts to this voice. It's not like it was part of the conversation or anything anybody heard at the time. So here it goes. I feel sorry for her, though. That's that. Oh, well, wow. Did you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it sounds like it's them talking, you know, in the conversation, but like you said, they don't. Yeah, nobody responded to it. They just kind of kept talking. Yeah. And, uh, I felt bad for her afterwards. I mean, I didn't hear it at the time. Um, so, you know, it was just strictly caught on our audio recorders, but I felt bad afterwards. I, like, wanted to go bring her a pizza or something to eat, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just leave it up there's, there's another one that, um, this one's from the, uh, Stone Lion, and it, uh, there's a voice in there. Christy can probably give a little more background on it, but, um, somebody's talking about cake, and you, you sometimes get interaction. So these are EVPs, which is electronic voice phenomenon. We don't hear this voice at the time it's something you hear when you play back the audio um and so it's like this this other voice is uh interacting as well so let me see if i can play that for you and see if you hear it so that one's a little bit a little harder to hear but it says yeah what cake i'm dead oh wow (laughs) now i think you have the oh go ahead go ahead <laughs> I was gonna say, Kathy, do you have the his pants are off one? That was really kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> okay, we, we can play another one for you guys if you want. It's this one's okay, yeah, kind of ahead. a cool story. It was it was down by the Red River. And this was several years ago, and at the time my team was a little bit larger, so we would split up into two different teams. So the first team was in, and then the second team was waiting outside. And the rules are when the team's in, you don't go inside. So one of my team members had to pee, um, so he found a tree. And, um, you know, we always keep our audio recorders on. Um, and so, you know, he went to go relieve himself on the tree and his audio recorder captured this lady. And one of, it's kind of two parts. One of them, she says, what the hell? What are you doing? And then the other part, she says, his pants are off. Cause I guess he kind of, I guess she saw him like, you know, unzip or however it was, but it's kind of very hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I got the, I've got the what are you doing, and I can play the other one right after it, too. Here's what you're doing. Old lady kind of sounding voice. And then here's the rest of it. Yeah, I thought I heard the pant. Yeah, the pants part yeah. of it. Yeah, she says it kind of quickly. His pants are off. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you never know where you're going to be or what's going to happen. You know, when you're on an investigation, and we always keep our audio going and usually with us. So, um, you know, when you go to the bathroom, sometimes you get unusual EVPs. I, I've done that at other residential ones. Um, we have a habit sometimes of eating Mexican food before investigation, so <laughs> I thought it was kind of feeling a little funny. And I went to the bathroom, and I kind of let out a sigh, you know, oh. 
And then I got this lady recorded, and she says, did you have a bad day? <laughs> <laughs> and I've had some, you know, before when you're, you know, you're with your class or whatever, and they, and they had one that said, look behind you. So that was kind of spooky. Yeah. Right? So, but yeah, we've, we've had some interesting EVPs along the way. <laughs> some of them are funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of them were kind of scary. I mean, I'm just saying, if I was in the bathroom and somebody told me to look behind me, that's, you know, that's a done deal for me. I'm already done. I'm done. <laughs> You're long gone from the, the location at the time you hear it. You're sitting in your own yeah, house. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. like, oh, man, if I knew that then. Yeah, <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> you just right, never Mike, know. You never know yeah. when you're going to record it. Exactly. All right, Mike, you got your question ready? Um. The only thing I was actually curious about is, like, what kind of equipment you guys use. Go for it, Kathy. Okay, so <laughs> we have the standard uh, infrared cameras um, on, with a DVR system so that we can record. Um, we use it. We, we watch all areas to kind of keep the, the location clean, so to speak, so we know what's coming and going. Um, we usually set them up where uh, most of our clients' visual experiences are. So if they say they've seen shadows in their bedroom, we'll put a camera there. Um, so the infrared uh, camera standard, we have that pretty much everywhere, even if the client doesn't have any visual planes. Um, we also have a full-spectrum camera. That's kind of a newer theory with the ultraviolet uh, video capture as well as infrared. Um, there's theory that spirits can uh, can exist on either side of that that um, the, the light spectrum, so so it's beyond what our eyes can see. Um, and we also use uh, everybody has an audio recorder, um, so we're able to compare EVPs. So sometimes you can have noises on your camera that can sound a little bit like uh, an extra voice, but if somebody else's camera on the other side of the room can get a, a clearer capture of what was going on. Sometimes we can tell if it was one of us breathing or if one of us whispered by accident. Um, you know, we have our audio recorders to kind of help um, to make sure that what we're catching, if it's an EVP, is a true EVP. Um, we use electromagnetic field detectors. Um, those, depending on the type of equipment you use, are typically used by um, electricians for uh, man-made current you know, kind of like a stud finder in the wall. You're looking for wiring. Um, so we can use that to find if there is um, a heightened or, you know, some, some wiring in the house that maybe isn't insulated properly and it gives off electromagnetic fields because the there's theory that that can, um, can be a source of energy for a spirit to draw from during a manifestation. But at the same time, it can also explain, depending on the claims, um, it can explain that feeling of someone watching you um, or, you know, some skin irritations so people can feel like they're being touched or that just that general, you know, I don't feel like I'm alone in, in here. So we'll use those meters to see if, especially um, if people are experiencing things at night while they're sleeping, we'll check the, um, the alarm clock next to their bed to make sure that's not giving off a whole lot of EMF. Um, so that kind of equipment can kind of help us with debunking. Um, it can also help us to um, verify if there's a source for somebody to draw from or a spirit to draw from. Um, gosh, we have um, the radio scanners, the ghost boxes. that w We don't use that one very often because it's not always that reliable. Um, you know, all those little we'll things. The usually. There's a lot of gadgets out there on TV that are very gimmicky. 
that don't really follow with um, true science, like a, uh, um, let's try to think of, the, the spirit boxes are great, um, that in theory, if you have the right kind, um, that can scan radio channels, um, but that plays with audio matrixing. There, you know, there's a, a phenomenon with, you know, the vision where we're seeing images in the clouds, like if you're looking up at the clouds and you see a shape of a cloud that looks exactly like a dog, that's what's called matrixing. Your brain is trying to make sense of what is confusing visually to your, your mind, so it pulls from your memory and um, makes it less confusing for you, so it looks like familiar images. Well, the same thing can happen with sound as well. So when those spirit boxes are scanning through channels, you can have some odd sounds form that can sound like voices. So sometimes those are reliable, sometimes not. We might experiment with things like that to see if we have any kind of consistency with it, but um, but we don't usually use them. Um, but we do have a, um, a mel meter, which gives us ambient temperature, um, electromagnetic fields. We have a REM pod that can sense a break in an electromagnetic field that it, the machine gives off itself. So that um, cell phones and other things can't interfere with that because it, it detects its own EMF image. And if something comes near it and touches it, it can break that image and sound an alarm. Or it can break that field. Uh, so those are kind of neat to use. That's just kind of a sampling. There's, there's a whole lot of other equipment. It, and it depends on the case and what they're experiencing, too. We do have the, um, I'm not going to say the word right now, but it's uh, um, the FLIR. Do you have that? Oh, yeah, we have a thermal imaging camera, um, a very basic one, but uh, that can be, there's a lot of user error with that, uh, so we have to be really careful with it because the, the colors change depending on the baseline within a room and um, and what you're, what's the coldest within the image that you're capturing. So it can look like hot spots and cold spots, um, but it might not be as accurate. So those, those you have to kind of, we, we pull that out when we have, um, certain cases where maybe the, the room is pretty large and our, our cameras maybe don't have enough infrared light to kind of see what's going on in the room, and we can pull that out and use it like larger spaces. Very interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's, a lot, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see, it's like moving every time. We oh, have, like, man. Cases, like, a bunch of smaller cases, and, yeah, it's like I'm moving into a location for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it. I was just scrolling through mm -hmm. Facebook and seeing a few pictures of y'all setting up and stuff like that. It looked like a whole lot of equipment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you put a system yeah. down and we all kind of jump in. And that's the nice thing about having a small team is everybody knows everybody really well. And um, we all do what we're good at. We all um, pitch in equally and, and set up and tear down of the equipment. It does take a lot longer to set it up than it does to tear it down. I don't know if that's yeah. because we're ready to go home by that point. <laughs> but we can have it taken down. We need coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we really appreciate y'all taking this time to talk to us. I, I got a, I wanted to ask you real quick. There was something up on your website about an opening last time I looked at it. I didn't know if you want to talk yeah. about uh, how people, you know, could get a hold of y'all to apply for that and also if you want to mention um where you can be following online i know we've said it before but we'll say it at the end and if y'all got any other stories you want to share or comments we'd love to hear them okay well yeah uh, our the open position we have right now for a team member is uh is an investigator slash report writer so 
if you remember when I was telling you earlier that each of us write an individual report, and then our report writer goes in and combines all those reports together and gets that in, in check and format for the client. So I'm currently the report writer, um, but, you know, we're, we're kind of looking for someone to, uh, to take over that position. So they would have to be proficient in writing uh, grammar usage, um, you know, as well as being able to, you know, structure structure a sentence well and be able to kind of type um, and use Microsoft Word. That's a, a main program kind of that we use. But if they're interested and they want to apply, uh, they can email us and they can say, hey, I'm interested. I'd like to have a member application. And so we'll send them that membership application and they fill it out. Then our team reviews it. And if we feel like they're potential, then we will set up an interview with them. And then, um, you know, what we do usually do is take them on some, um, you know, some investigations just to kind of see, get to know them, see how they operate, how they work, um, and make sure that their personality meshes well with our personality, you know, just like you would with a, a regular tech job. And um, there's a six-month probationary period, so if they're, you know, unreliable or they miss a lot of investigations or if they're just not a good fit, then we start all over again. Uh, gotcha. Most of our team members have been been with the team for years and years and years, so um, we're like a well-oiled machine. We all work fairly well together, and um, we're just kind of looking for someone to kind of be a part. We have fun, so it's not like we're all, um, you know, straight face and you can't have no laughs and no fun when you, you investigate. It's kind of like a social thing for us, too. We get together and we do it with each other's company and we have fun, but we're serious about what we do, too. So we just kind of need to find someone to fit in with that. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of for that position. And then other stories you said, right? Yeah, any any last, you know, stories or comments you'd like to have for us? We've, you know, like I said, I was trying not to keep y'all too long. Um, um, gosh, we could probably be here all night doing stories, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, just, I'll just throw in that, um, you know, a lot I wrote of about stories, Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we like to put the stories out there. Our, we have a lot of the stories in the, some of the reports put out on our Facebook page, and that's not really to exploit the, you know, the, the cases themselves, but we find that there's a lot of similarities in the experiences of our clients, and, you know, they don't know all these other clients that we've we've been working with, and uh, we can share those stories with them and say, yes, we had a client that had that same exact experience, and I think it helps them to know that they can go to that website and, and read about what other people have had happen in their home or their business and know they're not alone, and, you know, that, that's the reason why we post that out there to, and, and, you know, to let people know, you know, the truth about the paranormal. Is that, you know, it's a real thing. I mean, we may, we, we may never be able to truly prove that it exists, but, you know, when you can't explain something and you look for all the logical and you can't seem to find a logical explanation that fits, then you're left with, with the paranormal. That's the definition of it. And so um, I, I think that putting those stories out there are, Great for our readers who are curious as well, but it also helps our clients, you know, to know that they're not alone. Right. Right. So if they go to our website and they go under investigations, um, all of our cases are listed by year. Now, so we have done more investigations that are on there, um, but we only put the ones on our website that have true, legit uh, type evidence associated with it that we found. So, um, you know, and, and it's just the cases that – we're really positive and, and that kind of stood out for that year is what we put on there. So you can just click on, we nickname them because we, we are big on pay, uh, on uh, client confidentiality. So we never give a location, um, unless it's requested. We never, um, you know, list addresses or, or, you know, 
put pictures of the clients and stuff on our website. But what we'll do is we will have, uh, you know, um, we'll nickname them, and then we'll, you know, we'll give the the history, what history we can give on there of it. And if they allow us, we'll put a picture of the location. And then, you know, we'll list it like what we do in our report. And it's accompanied by pictures of things that's happened. And we got interact, you know, video in there, uh, things that happened on site, um, you know, that we'll, we'll incorporate into it. And you'll see a lot more of a video from like 2017 on. Um, and then, but there's, they can find evidence throughout the page, whether it's a photograph or, or EVP or video, they can click on all that and, and, you know, look at the evidence on that page. And then if, you know, they're curious, they can also go to, like, on our website, photos, and we have a gallery of photos. Um, we have a page of EVPs where you can listen to some EVPs. We have movie documentaries. We have um, video clips. Um, we have informational-type videos. There's just all sorts of stuff on the website. If people are interested, they can browse it and learn. We have articles on there, um, just, just a ton of stuff. So it's kind of a collection over the past 20 years, you know, almost 20 years. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of content on there. <laughs> yeah, I I went through there the other night and just kind of looking through some of the stuff. You have a lot of stuff on that website. It was really interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm the webmaster too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have more coming. Right now, we're about um, three cases out. So we're reviewing over it, putting cases together. One of the recent ones that we did was the Cherokee Strip Museum in Alva, and that was pretty interesting. It, you know, had tons of, you know, uh, people saying that what is haunted and stuff, and we, we had fun. Uh, you know, and we did get some things recorded from there, so it had some experiences. So it was quite neat. So that's coming to the website, too. Yeah, I remember you mentioned them that the other day. So that one, you got quite a bit of activity during that night, by the sounds of it? Yeah, there was there was quite a bit, um, you know, for such a large location, mainly on the second floor. That's where a lot of that's where the surgery suite was and all that. That's where the the main brunt of the activity. But down the basement, there was some that happened too. So I won't I won't spoil it. I'll say that okay. and let people you know get on there read it when it comes out. But yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Well, you're very, very welcome. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And, you know, if y'all ever have any other events or anything you would like us to announce on the show at any time, just get a hold of us. Uh, we'd be more than happy to do that. And, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, that'd be great. If you guys ever want to do one in the future, just follow at us, too. And, um, you know, if you give us a link to the podcast, we'll put that on our website and our Facebook page, too. Okay. We'll uh, cool. I'll work on that. In. Send one over to you. All right, that sounds great. Well, um, thank thank you guys for thinking of us too. Oh yeah, our show notes and all that stuff. Um, Again, thank you guys so much. Um, It's been a pleasure. All right, likewise. You guys take care, and we'll hopefully talk to you again again in the future. All right, all right, thank thank you. We appreciate it. (laughs) Bye bye. All right, bye bye guys. Bye. Let me get a soul clap. Let me get a soul clap. What's in my pants?